0: By two. Veronica, Nick you. must remember those words. Gordons are nice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and always on this episode, I will be joined by Julian Darius. And we have just finished series three. In the last episode, I interjected just as we were about to jump onto series four. So here we are, ladies and gentlemen, another bonus episode. The review continues. We're now four episodes in, and here we are with series four of Red Dwarf. I hope you enjoy it. And I'm going to hand you over to myself and Julian. Yeah, I mean, and in fact, I think that's a great seg
1: because Camille, which starts season four, is all about uh, Crichton and Crichton's development.
0: Yeah, well, actually, I'd say the f- the first t- um, the first two are incredibly uh, Crichton-centric uh, episodes, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Because you get, you know, they sort of they come to this notion of, of, you know, Crichton trying to accept, I don't know, accept who he is working against the programming. The first two is um, Camille and DNA. Um, now, Camille is sort of, you know, this is the one that starts with them doing the, the what I think is one of the most famous and iconic moments of Red Dwarf is Lister trying to teach Crichton to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, in the most basic sort of like you know what is this it's a banana no it's not a banana it's a you know Bolivian police officer or whatever they say so it's like trying to get him just to sort of like just to say that it's not this it's something else and so he can call um eventually get around to call in Rimmer a smeghead um which is a great scene and I love that scene I think it's a really really good scene between the two of them
1: absolutely um,
0: uh, but then he's obviously called off and they go planet hopping whatever, and they come across uh, a, a, a ship uh, and on that ship, Crichton, whilst there, meets another android. Um, and again, like, f- but falls in love with her pretty much instantly. Um, and this is again where we sort of like, get this notion of androids and emotions and, and all this other stuff. And it's sort of like, you know, he's more than a robot, like he's more than an android, really. Um but obviously, you know, to cut the, uh, to cut it short, like you find out that she's not an android. She's actually a gelf, which is a, pl- a pleasure gelf, a genetically engineered life form, um, and she actually represents herself or presents herself as the uh, a person's most um, desired um, p- I don't know, pleasure, uh, lust, figure of lust. I suppose is, is the way to put it, isn't it really? Um, so you get to see each of the red dwarf crew what they really desire um what are your thoughts on that
1: uh I like this episode quite a bit um you know i I, I love that you know cat for example sees himself you know I mean <laughs> that's so perfect and and as far as like missed opportunities when those opportunities aren't missed like that uh you know they really land and 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 really work um and I think that while you know, this episode starts with that kind of teaching Crichton to lie and teaching him to get beyond his programming. Um, ultimately Crichton, you know, tells this pleasure Gelf that, uh, no, you know, she really is beautiful as a slime monster <laughs> with an identical, you know, this absolutely <laughs> disgusting thing. You know, Crichton takes the green blob for dinner, you know, uh, you know, says, oh, it's an old story, droid meets uh, blob, you know, thinks the blob yeah. is a droid, you know, and it, it's all very funny, um, but that this is all unified through Casablanca, you know, and, yeah. and the ending of Casablanca, um, you know, a, a sort of, like, lying can be noble, right, which obviously was for a greater cause there and sort of, we gotta stop the Nazis, but here, Crichton does it to spare this pleasure Gelf uh and her feelings. Um and, and of course it's clever that like, you know, it's like the you know, 13th remake of Casablanca or something. Um yeah. but then also, you know, the the fact that if if Crichton has I mean, so I think the whole thing works as a piece, and I think that if Crichton has overcome his programming, it is to help somebody else. Um mm. And in this case, a pleasure guelf who, you know, is a is a weird, disgusting alien that nobody should care about, logically. Um, you know, is the lowest of the low. Um, and Crichton overcomes his programming to help a stranger who is kind of a rejected figure. Um I, I love that, and I and I think it kind of comes together as an episode, as a as a full statement on something.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a definitely a sort of um, again I think like I say, this series series four, uh, you know, we're, we're maintaining a lot. You know, the the cast remain the same. you have to, you know, the crew are all there. I, I I think they try they try something different with this series, where the sort of like series three was very much about you know, um, specific sort of like it was a sitcom. It's sitcom based sci fi ideas. What situation can we put? the um, crew in, in, you know, and then sort of like see how they would react. With this series, series four, I think there's a lot more thought put into, obviously it's all about the characters, but there's more thought about the sort of like the larger um, themes of the the sci-fi. Like you say, so in this, it's this thing of like, you know, tolerance and acceptance. Um, I mean, yeah, the scene where sort of she reveals herself as being a, as to what she actually looks like and Croton's is like for a large green blob you're a you're a, you know you're a very attractive large green blob. <laughs> and the, and the cat's response is like really she looks like something that dropped out of a whale's nose um it's really sort of like you know and she's like he's right i look hideous um it's really sort of like you know from i mean we know the cat is very narcissistic but like he's he's not holding back he's like and she's like you know, he's right i'm hideous um and you do find out that what she's the the person or the thing that, that Christ ends is lying to her about is the fact that she has another partner she's married to someone in or in gelf terms um and to this other thing who's actually looking into a cure for their condition that will make them better so he's sort of saying like, look you've got to go with him to make your life better so he sort of sacrifices his own happiness um and it does, it, it feels like they're actually going for a theme in this episode. Like, you know, they're not just, they're not just setting up for the joke, but like they really want to sort of try and say something with these characters and sort of with some of these ideas. Um, and I think Camille's a really strong one to start with.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that there's a kind of maturity to this plot. Hmm. And 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 what I mean isn't necessarily, you know, the humour. Um but, like, you know, I mean, we've seen the ways in which the show has advanced and, and kind of gotten beyond the original Odd Couple premise. And then, you know, most recently added Crichton and kind of experimented with gross-out humor. I guess there's a little bit of gross-out humor here, just with that it's a blob and, you know, it's so gross. But that it can kind of weave an episode that achieves that humor and also touches on those themes and gets at... um you know, something not only in Crichton's evolution, but also, you know, maybe for uh, this Gelf that, you know, we've seen a million times these stories of like, um, not just here, but on Star Trek of aliens that, you know, turn into somebody's sexual desire or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, there, you know, there might be some sympathy for that alien. But, you know, ultimately, you know, their job is to is to go away. And, that, and that's kind of true here but you know i it seems as if it's more of a mature episode to me
0: yeah i agree they, they, you know i think like you say the writing's definitely matured and i think <clears> that they, they really want to try and push this into being something more than a bit of a you know a, a daft sort of sci-fi comedy um and to see if it can actually ask certain questions or you know like you say do some of that sort of star trek kind of stuff but on a on a comedy um you know uh, angle. And I think Camille is very successful at that. Um, if anything, I think the first sort of three episodes in a row all sort of do that. Um, and if we do jump to, to sort of to DNA, I mean, the one thing I would point out actually, talking about Camille, one thing worth noting is um, when, you know, we talked about Kachansky sort of being dropped from the whole sort of thing. When Lister gets to see his. Mm perfect uh, object of perfect desire it's not kachansky it's right. it's someone sort of like a you know she's she's an attractive sort of early 90s sort of a similar uh, you know similar version of dave lister um and so it's interesting to note that yeah kachansky is sort of out of out of mind by this sort of point um which yeah, sort of goes and, back and to our point before that she was just an, she was just a, a, a passing fad really
1: yeah he doesn't he doesn't really care about her really um i mean she'll come back but um mm. but you know it, it's interesting you're completely correct and he sees her as a kind of like punk girl which kachansky is not i mean the yeah. one thing is kachansky is not a punk alternative chick you know
0: yeah she's she's very different to what kachansky was so um it's just it's just an interesting sort of point to note really sort of from a from a yeah we've already we've already sort of smashed up the continuity, but it's just it's just something worth noting um yeah but jump into the next episode d n a um I'm a big fan of this episode I really like this episode for a lot of reasons um uh, but again it's a very sort of Crichton centric episode um and the, the general sort of push of the episode is they find a ship that has the technology to rearrange organic matter into any form um and again, it's sort of like, you know, size doesn't seem to matter. There's no sort of like thing about actual matter, but it does. it. So it's, you're able to turn anything in any organic matter from one thing into another. Um, and in doing so, the cat um, accidentally sort of traps. Um, through a series of incidents, the cat accidentally traps Crichton in the beam. And because he has some, you, you learn, he actually has some organic matter in his neural net. Um, it turns him into a human, which is one of his biggest desires. Um, and this is also one of the things we've had in the show, as I said before, sort of like that careful what you wish for. Um, you know, sort of Crichton's had emotion and he's sort of, sort of formed a relationship and a sort of a connection in that first episode and he's had to give that up. And now he's actually been given one of his truest desires, which is to be human. Um, and it doesn't go as well as he'd hoped. Um, yeah, but what do you think about DNA?
1: Uh I like it a lot less than you do, actually. Um oh, really? I yeah, I mean I, I like uh you know, I think it, it, I you know I like Camille a lot better. Um I, I think that seeing Crichton as a human is amusing enough. Um mm-hmm. you know, I I don't know. I mean, you know, there is that thing of like, um, you know, you see Brent Spiner instead of data and and you say like oh that's what he looks like without the makeup you know it kind of yeah. takes some of the uh illusion away um you know and and i i feel a little bit of that i mean there's some humor here but i guess i i, I you know i just feel like the the basic uh setup um of that device um is not very interesting to me and uh and doesn't it's really there just to get, um, Crichton to be a human. Um, Mm. and I, and I like the Crichton as human stuff, but then they kind of like have to end the episode. And so, you know, like the mutton Vindaloo is turned into a monster (laughs) and, and there's a very silly monster chase. Um, you know, I mean, and they even like reference polymorph and say, you know, the same thing's happening twice as if like, yeah, we know we're kind of phoning this one in here. Um, so, I mean, I like, I like the Crichton is human, and I think the episode would be better if they just got to that immediately and, uh, you know, um, ignored, uh, everything else.
0: I, I know what you mean. Um, you know, the, some of the jokes, are, I mean, they, they do give the setup of the, the, the capability of the machine. They show it through, uh, Lister gets turned into a chicken, um, and then, you know, they sort of make some egg-laying jokes. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. there's just something about, and it, I, again, I think it's almost like they wanted to give Robert Llewellyn like a day off. Maybe they were like, "Look, you know, we're gonna give you a <laughs> day out of makeup because it's you know we, know we know what you're going through." Um, and I, I, I kind of like again, it sort of shows his range and like, what he, what he's bringing to it because, and I, I do like there's a there's a whole scene of him sort of like you know, which is silly because he's obviously there designed to serve humans and he knows a bunch of stuff, so he, he clearly knows how humans work because he brings them food and everything <coughs> on a regular basis. But he has a series of jokes about sort of like trying to climb it's that fish out of water thing, isn't it? Sort of like acclimatising to having a human body. And the simple things like, Well, my nipples don't work. Um you know, like, well, what do you mean? He says, Well, usually if I if I tune like if I twist one of them I can get sort of like you know, FM radio. Um, <laughs> and those jokes, and obviously eventually it sort of turns to uh, what is given him um what you know, what his lust is driven by. So sort of like, you know, he gets an erection from seeing a hoover. Um, or a double Polaroid, because uh, he, he then takes a photo of it to show Dave, um, and I, I like all that. um But again, like it comes down to this notion of sort of uh, there's an idea that sort of like sits well with me is this idea of authenticity, which is clearly really important to to Lister. This idea of being authentic mm. and being sort of he sees it from a class point of view, but you you know I am what I am. Um, and they attribute it to Descartes, which I'm not sure is true. because sort of, I think that's I think therefore I am. Um, right. But it's, they attribute it to, to Papa to Papa. Which is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. But this is the, I like the idea of this it's sort of like you know because he says to him, so you're you neither one thing nor the other. You you you're sort of struck between the two because he goes to see his heads, and I, I kind of like the sort of they give one of his heads got droid rot, and so has a sort of a, a thick northern accent. Um. <laughs> I don't need no bugger to come looking after me, um, and I, I do I like all that stuff. So I, I just, I don't know. I just find this episode incredibly funny. It really makes this is one of those I laugh out loud at consistently. Um, well, I I, so, I do yeah, think I, the I, line I do, I do like that.
1: I do think but, uh, you know I, I do think Crichton as a human works well. I, I I don't like that he has this organic brain that you've never heard of. Um, yeah. you know, obviously that's just to get the the DNA device to work. You know, he says, Crichton's turned into a human. My greatest dream come true. You know, that's true about Data. That's not really true about Crichton. I mean, he yeah. thinks he's going to Silicon Heaven, right? He doesn't, he thinks humans just die in their dirt, you know? Uh, <laughs> you know, so I don't know. I mean, it's fun. I like the, you know, he complains about his eyes of no zoom function. Um <laughs> You know, above all, uh, you know, he, the funny line, you know, I want to talk to you about my penis. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that's coming. But the way it's <laughs> delivered is just hilarious. Um, and yeah, the spare heads do work. Uh, you know, the idea that apparently he's been switching them out, you know, uh, mm-hmm. they each have different personalities. And this has been like happening um off scene through the through yeah. the whole show. <laughs> I think I quite yeah. like.
0: Yeah, well, even even spare hand, even was it spare arm too? Is, is got so so some sort of sentience because being left behind doesn't, it, you know, it gives him the V's because it's not particularly happy with that.
1: Oh right, um, yeah.
0: Um, I do I do enjoy that, and um, uh, well, yeah, it, it, I even but the thing is, I do even enjoy the silliness at the end, the sort of the 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 the, vita, uh, the uh, Vindaloo monster, um, and then turning Lister into what well, they want to turn him into, Man Plus. They're going to try and you mm. know, boost him up. But basically, gets only to half of RoboCop, and I'm pretty sure there, if there are certain movie studios that were to see this, would probably be <laughs> on to someone about it, some form of copyright. Um, yeah, it's, it's, ridic- it's ridiculous, but I do—I don't know. why. I just really enjoyed it at the end of that episode.
1: Yeah, I, I'm glad you do. I mean, you know, speaking of authenticity, I mean, this is where. I think we were talking about it on the last episode where Lister confesses he's a sellout because he went to a wine bar, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Where, you know, you're right that he seems to have this idea of uh, class loyalty and uh, of authenticity. I don't know. I mean, I guess that ultimately I sort of feel like, you know, this is an okay episode that if it were, you know, really a short about like, okay, well, we kind of have to do... The android becomes a human, here's our take on it, that would be fine. I think it goes so far off the rails at the end. I think the, you know, the semi-melted tiny Robocop is like (laughs) you know, who thinks I don't know. I mean, it's not funny, you know, to me. I mean, the only thing that can kill a beer, you know, kill a Vindaloo is a beer, you know. So he (laughs) uses the beer as an explosive. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I like how off the rails the show is, but that is all off the rails in a way that, I don't know, uh, doesn't work for me. <laughs> I, do, yeah,
0: you a lot, I, I, I do. I don't know why. Make, <laughs> I kind of explain it. Like, it makes me chuckle now. Because um, obviously the thing is, he's not, not only is he half Robocop, but they've shrunk him as well. So he's like, he's like the size of an action figure. And um, <laughs> and he does. He pushes. He pushes over a lager can, and he says, "He says, of course, the only thing that can kill a vindaloo is a lager." Um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's not it's not highbrow humour in any way. It's not. It's not even to be fair. It doesn't even pay off. It doesn't even pay off the sort of the rest of the episode, really, is it? Because um, we obviously know that Crichton gets turned back eventually because he's Crichton in the next episode. Um, but uh, yeah. I, I like all the stuff with with <laughs> Crichton as a human, I really do. But even I say that some of the daftness at the end is, um, it just makes me laugh. I don't know why it's very chug- even that when you sort of like you realise he's tiny, he's like, I can't keep up, I'm naked. Um, right, it's, it, it just makes me chuckle. Yeah, it's a silly episode, well, but I, I do really enjoy it.
1: Well, I think that's the great thing about about silly episodes is they they work for you or they don't, and ultimately, mm-hmm. you know. You, the most you can say to criticize that stuff is like, yeah, that's that's silly, and I find it, you know, it doesn't work for me. I find it more silly than than landing, but you know, I mean, that's the thing about silliness. There is so much silliness that I do like. Um, you know, it, it, it's just uh, idiosyncratic what works for you.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 No, but th- I think Denis has a good episode. But um, so you've had like two. Um... Crichton-esque, Crichton-heavy episodes for, to, to begin a series really, sort of, you know, they're focused in on that um, these, he's had sort of the A-plot, at least of both of them and so they sort of, they pull back there and you get, so the next one, Justice um is, I suppose it's more of a Rimmer, again, this is a rimmer focus episode he has got them all in, you know, he has got them all in there, and they all get some great moments to shine, but again, the A-plot really <laughs> comes down down to Rimmer. Um, and I, I, again, like, justice is an interesting one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, do you want to talk about justice?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this is also one that I remember seeing on on PBS. I have very clear memories of, especially that justice zone at the end, um, mm. you know, this is in the prison ship where, you know, and, and, and that is probably the weakest part of the episode for me. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I like this one. Uh, I like this one a lot. I don't like it as much as I do, uh, you know, Camille, but, um, you know, pretty close. I mean, I, I'm a fan of it. I think that if I were going to, if I were going to criticize it besides the sort of justice zone at the end, um, you know, I mean, it literally ends with Lister falling into a manhole, you know, Um mm-hmm. And the the silliness of the justice zone of like, whatever you do to somebody else is done to you kind of magically. You know, I don't know how that would work, but whatever. And it begins with Lister having space mumps and deformed cranium that like explodes and is bursts and is really gross. All of that stuff doesn't work as well for me. It's fine, but it, it doesn't work as well for me, but the actual penal colony and the mind probe for criminal activity and then above all else, the trial of Arnold Rimmer. Yeah. That is just classic stuff. I mean, that's just, yeah. you know, I mean, what a brilliant idea to literally put your characters on trial um, and, and literally put Rimmer on trial. Um, and, and Crichton is is just brilliant through all of that. So, I mean, for me, that the main stuff is all just firing on all cylinders.
0: No, I agree. I think this is it. Sort of like you're right because the space mumps is um, it's all, it's like it, it doesn't really serve a purpose. It's almost like you know it's a silly idea to give them something to do. It's that gross out humor because it bursts all over the cat, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so it, it sort of adds into that gross out humor. And I, I, I agree. I really hate the end of this episode of sort of. Um, Lister philosophising on the sort of like the nature of justice, and then just falling down a sort of a, I don't know some sort of yeah like a manhole in a ship, which is weird. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, I, I really I do hate that the ending. But you're right, the whole thing of sort of um, I, again, I actually love because again, Chris Barry is so good at this. Um, mm-hmm. They go in and they have to get they get escorted in in the in the shoes and they have to go through it and sort of. It's it's Lister that's worried because he's like, oh, we used to do all kinds of stuff when I was a kid. <laughs> we used to go scrumping for cars, and uh, mm-hmm. I stole the, the, all the furniture <laughs> from a hotel room and all this other stuff. It's like, um, it's 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 all these th- all these things that you're like, yeah, yeah you you are probably going to get done for. And there's Rimington, oh, hoo, 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 hoo. you're in for it now, Lister. You're really in for it. And then he gets charged with the you know first degree murder or second degree murder of sort of. Uh, however many people are credited to being on the crew of the mining ship Red Dwarf. And there's the look of panic on his face is, <laughs> is brilliant. Yeah, it is. It's a really strong, um, this, the central concept that is a really strong episode. Um, yeah. I think, and
1: I think that is the strongest stuff. I mean, you know, it doesn't have that, you know, unlike Camille with Casablanca, it doesn't have that sense of like coming together you know, both, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, the mumps is unrelated, you know, there's this sense of just kind of, it's not as tight, but, um, you know, the idea, uh, of course, it's a, you know, a turnaround that Lister would get away and Remmer would be sentenced. But um, the idea that this is based on a mind probe, right? And so this technology, mm-hmm. what it's really judging is your sense of guilt, right? Yeah. And that, you know, Rimmer is so um, egotistical that he thinks he is responsible. And so using this as a way to kind of like psychoanalyze Rimmer or explore his character that, you know, while he hasn't expressed a whole lot of guilt over the course of the show for having killed the entire crew of Red Dwarf, it's clearly been established that he's responsible. And in this episode, you know, Crichton says, you know, he is clearly incompetent uh you know he feels guilt for something he could not have done um his inflated ego is the problem um you know he could not have have killed this crew
0: yeah and i love the fact that they keep sort of calling they keep trying to sort of show it's the dialogue and the jokes in it are so good he keeps, <laughs> sort, of, he keeps yeah. sort of the way Rimmer sort of said who would you know who would do this who would, um because he keeps an objection you know a man so stupid he even objects to his own defense counsel. who would put a man in who would put this man in charge of any duty that would actually destroy a ship who uh-huh. only a yogurt <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is this idea that like you know he keeps sort of and rumors because it's, it's really hurting Rimmer. you can tell oh yeah bruised his ego and he's because he says to christ says, i think i think you're laying it on a bit thick and he's like no 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 I've got it all hinges on me proving you're a total jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Right, your 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 freedom
1: depends on me ridiculing you and demolishing you as a person. And and that I mean it's just such a brilliant setup. And and you're quite right. That I mean those boy, the actors are just great, especially I mean, Crichton just delivering those lines is is fantastic, (laughs) and the look on Rimmer's face, and you can understand why he would object, (laughs) you know and that the fact that that is instantly pivoted and used against him, you know is wonderful Um, and Crichton finally concludes you know, uh, he's only guilty of being Arnold J. Rimmer that is his crime it is also his sentence (laughs) You
0: (laughs) you know Just, I mean, just
1: burying Rimmer. You know, I mean, just it's so funny because it not only sort of like punches Rimmer in the guts, but stabs him in the gut and then buries him alive. It's so vicious.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it is. A, it's a great character piece for that because I say I love the fact as well that when he's put on trial, like they give him an opportunity, you know, and, and sort of Dave has put on like a badly put on tie. The cat hasn't changed at all. He's still wearing his very cool clothes. But Rimmer has sort of like orchestrated this, you know, new uniform sort of setup as well, with his medals and stuff on and that. So he's trying to look as important as possible, like you know, mm. but still, um, you know, knowing that it, it, it's just fiction. This uniform is made up. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's wonderful. I think this whole thing. <laughs> but you're right about the rest of the episode because they even sort of they even sort of self acknowledge it. You know they get back to Starbug and they're like, I don't even know why we came here in the first place. And then the sort of the, <laughs> um, the mechanoid comes out and he's like, I do. And you're like, Oh yeah. And they have a, a chase around and they enter the Justice Zone. Um, I there is something about the Justice Zone I do like. The, the scene when you do see Rimmer in prison and he's explaining it to. Um, he's explaining it to Lister. And he's like, mm-hmm. set fire to the bed sheets. Go on. just, just Whatever <laughs> you do, if you try and break the law, whatever you do will happen to you. Oh, okay. He's like, set, try and set fire to the bed. Go on. So he's like, all right. And his, his, his jacket sets fire. And he's like, all right, you could have expl- <laughs> just explained it. Um, he's like, okay, well, right, now try and steal something. He's like, uh, no, I don't. no, I don't want to. He's like, see, perfect system. And I'm like, it's, it's, a, it's a good little, again, another good little scene, just to sort of like, to hone in on an idea, that this idea of the Justice Zone, um, which they're clearly setting up, it's that sort of, you know, Chekhov's gun, because they they need it to, to pay off for the finale. Because um, the only way they can defeat the Mechanoid is by sort of him beating up Rimmer, but sorry, beating up Lister, but everything he does to Lister happens to him. Um, and then the final joke with the cat. So it's it's a fine, sort of like, you know, finale, but it doesn't really tie into anything. Um, But yeah, the, the the high point of this episode is the trial. Is that sort of like five, 10 minutes of that trial is, is Red Dwarf at its best.
1: Oh, absolutely. No, I I agree with that completely. I mean, if you wanted to uh, show somebody Red Dwarf in a capsule thing, you could, Mm. you could show them five minutes from this. And if they don't like it, Okay, go somewhere else, you know, because yeah. uh, I mean, even if they don't understand the setup and they haven't seen the first episode, it's stated right there, uh, you know, in Crichton's, uh, uh, you know, in the trial, or yeah. you know, if you showed them the mind probe stuff. So,
0: yes, no, it's it's uh, it's perfect. I mean, you know, you've got like the first half of this season, I think, is really strong, um, and then you get White Hole which isn't a bad episode, but to me feels a bit like it's, it's almost like this is the body swap of the fourth season to, to me, at least like it's, it's fine, but it never sort of, it doesn't really carry any weight. It's it's good fun, but it's, it's it fundamentally, or, oh, you know, it's just a bit silly. It's a bit of fluff, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah you know, the idea was it the, the the concept is very much sort of like you know a, a black hole sucks time and matter from the universe a white hole pushes it out and so they get sort of time jumps and they they have fun with that but then the idea of playing pool with planets at the end i don't know what oh. are your thoughts on white hole
1: yeah no i agree completely i mean you know it it is silly i mean the white hole concept is silly the whole like you know lister can't take that shot you know yeah. uh at the end you know is very silly um you know, and then the paradox at the end of like all of this didn't happen, you know, because they shut the white hole. I mean, you know, is kind of, you know, I, you know, it's not really bad or lazy, but it's a little bit. Um, I mean, I think what works in this episode for me is uh, Holly uh, having her, you know, 6000 IQ restored and then having to shut down and, uh, you know. Uh, down to 3.45 minutes of life. All of that banter works great for me. And all of the uh, sort of dealing with the Red Dwarf not having electricity, all of that stuff is is fun. You know, it, it takes them five, day, five days to go to the cargo deck. And of course, you realize how big the Red Dwarf is, right? I mean, it's a Titanic mm. ship, but that's never shown. You know, there's been nothing... Uh, I mean, we, we had that one episode earlier where we had them on an elevator, um, yeah. you know, but outside of that, there's no reference to how big mm-hmm. the ship is. So, I I mean, I think I love Holly desperate to uh, not use the runtime uh, and I like yeah. her ship shut down. But that but, you know, yeah, you're right. Outside of that, I think it's it's a weaker episode.
0: Yeah, no, and I, I do like the the, the, the moment with Holly, because they do reintroduce uh, Talkie Toaster as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: and I, so I'm glad Talkie's back as well, because there's a great sort of, you know, it's like when this stuff, what, what have you brought him back for? Um, you know, he, just, he, he won't shut up about toast, bread products. And again, like you know, we don't want to talk about any bread products. I get some or anything like that. He goes on, he's, ah, you're a waffle man. Yeah. Um, you know, it's so good. Uh, it, it, that little character is fantastic. And obviously the, the moment he has with Holly as well. And sort of like, you know, Holly's trying to shut herself down to save the ship. Like, There's one really important question that the, the crew are going to have to know. Like, well, what is it? So, you know, Do you want any toast? <laughs> um, like even that moment. He, he, yeah, he's, that's a great little moment. Um, uh, and so there are good moments in this. Again, like you say, it comes down to some of the dialogue. Um uh, Was it when the ship goes down and there's no engines and sort of like you know, um, Crichton sort of saying, um, "Can you hear anything?" And they're like, "No." He's like, "Can you? Do you know why you can't hear anything? Because there are no sounds to hear." <laughs> and he's he's right, but you know he could be like everything's been shut down. But it's the way they word it uh, and the way they deliver it is so it, that is, is really good, strong stuff. Um, but yeah. It, weirdly, yeah. this is one of those episodes. This is one of the few episodes where I get bored by the end of it.
1: No, I think that's true. I mean, um. I think, and I think the the sort of like pool shot is is sort of tedious. Um, you know, and I and I think there are ideas like uh, that are good ideas, like you know, the sort of agreement that Lister and Rimmer have of sort of uh, peddling the bike um, yeah. to power. You know, things like a hair dryer or to fry <laughs> an egg. Um, you know that they're cruel with each other uh, about, I mean, that's a good idea, but it it doesn't, you know, really, uh, you know, it's kind of good for a laugh, but it doesn't really go anywhere or, you know, it's a kind of throwaway sort of thing. And then they have the sort of like time dilation happen where, you know, you see the same conversation over and over again as dialogue repeats. So I love that stuff, but Mm. then they very quickly say like, well, if we concentrate we can overcome these effects. What are you talking about? You know? And then that doesn't become important in the episode at all. I mean, ultimately that time dilation, you know, it's like, um, something like future echoes where my brain just goes, Oh, smart science fiction. Like I like that. And then it's Mm. like, yeah, no, that's not what this episode is about. Let's play pool with planets.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a good scene, you know, I like the way they sort of, they edit it and stuff to, um, and they get annoyed with the cat because he's sort of like you know oh, so what is it <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. is is really good um but yeah again it's like i just again it's another one where i think the payoff isn't isn't strong enough um uh so it's, it's sort of like it's, it, it's it's a lull in the middle of this season a very strong season i would say though for, for, for the most part um Anything else you want to say about White Hole? Because there's something. You know, because I don't think there's much to talk about in that episode. But the, the next two for me are really important.
1: Yeah, the only other thing that I remember is uh, you know about White Hole is Cat saying you know I'm not asking you to do what I wouldn't do, and I you know yeah. uh, well, well like oh no I I wouldn't sacrifice I'd also sacrifice you. I thought okay yeah, I got to I mean, remember that, that you know. That to,
0: good, uh, I'm not asking you to do anything I wouldn't do. Well, you'd sacrifice yourself for the good of the crew. No, I'd sacrifice you for the good of the crew. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's White Hole. But the next two, we sort of, as I said, we sort of we opened with two sort of Crichton heavy, Crichton centric episodes. And I, we end with almost a, 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 a rimmer doubleheader um, for me that this the, these two episodes sort of work really well together in showing, you know, what our Rimmer, I'm going to say our Rimmer because what, what of Dimension Jump, of what our Rimmer and why he is the way he is, or at least what he is. Because um, you get Dimension Jump, where we get to first time we get to meet Ace Rimmer, and then we get Meltdown, where Rimmer gets to actually lead, again, like we've said in this series, it's all about what you care for, what you wish for. He gets to lead an army, um, and it does mm-hmm. not go well. But um, dimension jump, dimension jump, and Ace Rimmer. Um, yes. and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna lord uh, Chris Barry because um, this is a, a another. This is our second alternate version of Rimmer, and this is probably one of the strongest. Um, and we get to see an ult- We get to, the the show opens with a young, um, a young Rimmer being hung upside down from a tree. Um and basically you find out that he's you know he's not been doing well at school and he's either going to be held back a year or he's going to get to carry on you know he's going to go carry on with with all the rest of his classmates up to the next year at school um and it's obviously it's obvious that that decision is obviously going to be uh, important to this show <clears throat> so we then learn that there is there are alternate we already know there are alternate dimensions we've we've been to one already We've been to a female, so we've seen a female version of of, um, Rimmer, and we're now going to meet a successful version of Rimmer. So a version where he has become a test pilot in the Space Corps, and he is basically sort of an incredibly sort of admired and respected uh, pilot um, by other alternate versions of the Red Dwarf crew. Um, So, what are your thoughts on the on dimension jump and Ace Rimmer?
1: well I, I, obviously classic uh you know i love i love dimension jump um you know ace rimmer is you know I, I i talked about how i was a little um uh unimpressed with the portrayal of um rimmer minus his guilt um mm-hmm. but obviously ace rimmer is great uh everything sort of uh, fires is working here um but uh you know i mean is rimmer's kind of like a parody of top gun you even hear this kind of like top gun parody music um and he and this episode really gets at you know obviously is having fun with ace rimmer and you know everybody says what a guy as he leaves the room uh you know one of the funniest uh you know bits is his boss um you know uh says you know propositions him um, you know the secretary propositions him, and he says, "You know, I don't fraternize with other people in in the corps." So she resigns instantly. The boss, who's a man, you know, flirts with him, and he says, "You know, you, I didn't know you went that way." Um, and the boss says, "I normally don't, <laughs> you know, but you know, <laughs> nobody can resist you, Ace." But but you know, I mean, so all of that stuff is is fun, but ultimately you know, like some of the the better episodes uh, in this season, that it ends up being about something, you know, and I'm reminded of like Me Too, where you see the, or Me Squared, where you see this other, this alternate self. Um, And here, the fact that Ace, when he comes into meeting our Rimmer, uh, the contempt that Ace has for our Rimmer and the jealousy and resentment that R. Rimmer has is just wonderful. Um, you know, and, and ultimately, the, I, you know, without going too far ahead, the revelation that in that beginning scene, um, you know, when Rimmer's being held upside down and, you know, it's about whether he goes mm-hmm. forward, that what separated those two is that Ace was the one held back. Yes. Boy, that's brilliant. I mean, and I, and I love that. And I, and I think that sometimes, you know, I think the point is sort of sometimes the things that the losses that we have teach us more than our victories. And sometimes, you know, it was that humility that Ace learned. You know, like, I, I'm not going to win every time. I've got to actually be good. Um, you know, taught him this important uh, point at that, um, at that key point. So, you know, it's very nurture over nature, you know, maybe to a Mm -hmm. ridiculous point, but I mean, it, it manages to be an episode that's so much fun and also a brilliant commentary on Rimmer and actually has some deep things to say about, you know, maybe how life turns out for us.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think, um, as you say, the whole sort of introduction of Rimmer, um, of Ace Rimmer, I should say, is, is really good because you get the alternate versions. Again, Like the the alternate version of Dave Lister is... You know, Spanners isn't much different. It's literally just Dave Lister in a different costume. Um, I like the fact that they've gone with the cat being sort of like a, a relatively elderly priest, which is funny. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like I said, the, the, the others being impacted. But again, it's just sort of... um. You're right. That one of the my see, my favourite scenes is that thing when he first comes on the ship, and um, you know, uh, sorry, Ace, because he collides with them because obviously whatever it's called, the reality drive, takes him to sort of and he collides with uh, Starbug, and they crash. And he has to go on the ship. He says, he says, better go down and make sure they're all right. It's the it's the right thing to do. Um, and when he does go down, he sort of meets me, He goes onto the ship and says, right, what are you? Gonna, he says to he says to his our version of, of Rimmer, like, okay, Arn what's your plan? He's like, what? I, I don't have a plan. Oh, okay, okay, well, you know, we, we better go out there and, and get it fixed. <laughs> okay, I'm, come on, So, like, Well, he can't go. He's dead. He's like, oh, right, well, dead. Okay, well, what's the, uh, the what was it the, the, the inertia rating for the engines, Annie? I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> right, well, it's constantly, he keeps sort of like handing him off. He's like, look, you know, here's your moment to step up. What are you going to do? And he he fails every time. And then, uh, it, to, the nail in the coffin, then, for our rimmer, is when he do, when Ace does leave. And he says, uh, "Smoke me a kipper." Uh, Can you do that? <laughs> 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 um, and it is. It's a, it's a it's a nice little dig at him. Uh, and so I do. I, I, I love sort of like say the dynamics of, of Ace and, and Arnie is, is is perfect throughout this. The sort of the resentment and the bitterness oh, and man. the fact that okay, throughout it, when you do find the twist, I um, our rimmer sort of like is determined and, and convinced that, um, Ace got all the breaks. Like he's the mm-hmm. one that got the good, he's the one, you know, he must've had this. He sort of like, you know, he's probably sort of like greased his way up the pole and he's done this, and he's done that. And dad's da da. And it's sort of like, and as you say, when you get the reveal, it's like, no, no, I, you know, Ace was held back a year, like all that humiliation, all that sort of like, you know, uh, the Mickey taking being the tallest boy in the, in the class by a clear foot. Um, is you know it's what made him it's sort of like you say it made is it yeah she says like it made me buckle down and, and really pay attention and, and change the way he is it's fascinating like you say to sort of to for that moment because it could have easily been they could have easily taken another way out and said
1: mm-hmm. okay
0: yeah no he did get all the breaks and rim was right um but it also yeah. like i say it shows that thing about perception isn't it about sort of what what do you perceive as being good for you isn't always what is good for you um See, so, you know, right. I
1: love this episode. I think it's that, great. Oh no, I do too, and that actually fits into your point about you know the the whole sort of be careful what you wish for, um, mm. you know that, and, and I think that uh, you know that's also a part of my worldview that is very important to me. That you know the things that we think would be advantages aren't always that clear of an advantage over the long term and the things that we think are catastrophes you know don't end our life and result in us making different choices and you know we wind up moving to a different place or meeting somebody else and and having a relationship and we can't imagine it having been any different um you know so i i find it uh very fascinating i i think that our um the times we get knocked back are not as fatal as we imagine. And mm-hmm. the times that we achieve what mattered so much to us that we felt like our whole lives depended on it. You know, it's nice to win, but it, it, it didn't. That also was not as much of a life changer as we imagine. Um, so, you know, I think this works on that that fun level. Um, you know, it is wonderful seeing Ace, you know, confused why Rimmer doesn't volunteer, you know, uh, you know, he preps surgery on cat, you know, and says, you know, this is part of basic training, you know, like how do you not know this? I mean, there's so much fun. It's so much fun seeing Ace Rimmer, uh, you know, and it's such a brilliant commentary on on uh, on who Rimmer is. You really see that pain in, you know, our Arnold Rimmer. Um, you know the jealousy. You know Ace Brown knows his way up the ranks. You know, um, and then you really see Ace sort of in pain. You know, saying, "I can't stand to be around, uh, to see myself like that." Um, yeah. This sort of like, I I move past this. I cannot stand to see uh, this sniveling. <laughs> you know, Rimmer that we know. I mean, of course, that's also funny. It's wonderful. I mean, if if there's any episode that really makes you think Rimmer is just a sniveling coward and a waste of space at heart, it's this episode.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, the, I think the, this mir- matched with the next one is is a fascinating um, you know analysis of Rimmer. But again, like you know the, the, that moment, the fact that like Ace actually admits to me says you know since I've got. There are you know, infinite numbers of uh, alternate realities out there. And, uh, you know, maybe I will come across someone you know, more pathetic than him. <laughs> but I doubt it. <laughs> um, it's interesting. Yeah, and, I mean, you know,
1: uh, Well, there's a scroll at the end that says, you know, Ace went on to visit thousands of realities, but he never found a more worthless self than our uh, yeah. Rimmer. <laughs> you know, I just... Talk about, you know, I mean, there's a cruelty to this, but it, it really does hammer home, you know, Rimmer as a kid.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. And um, I should say, you know, one of the things we haven't sort of uh, mentioned, I'll pick up here is actually, around this time, uh, Red Dwarf uh, had a magazine. They had a, a magazine called The Smegazine. Um, it ran for around 29 issues uh, across two volumes. Um and in that comic, you know, in the magazine, they had the usual stuff: interviews and, and behind the scenes and reviews and all this other stuff. But one of the things they also had a series of comics, <clears throat> and in those comics, there are uh, there were a series of comics of Ace Rimmer's alter other adventures um, across and meeting those other versions of Rimmer. Uh, and there's one where there's a there's a, a superhero version of Rimmer, and then there's sort of uh, some other bits So some of those comics were re- were really good and really. I mean, they're not as as solid as some of the episodes, but again, they, they do continue that um, all, the the expansion of the alternate versions of characters. Um, and eventually, when we get to sort of series five as well, they sort of they had a comic that looked at uh, the alternative. They had a whole sort of series that ran um, about Jake Bullet, the alternate version of uh, Crichton as well, which is really cool. But it's really interesting. That I said that the the Ace Rimmer character has really hit home. It's sort of like it's again. He's like a fundamental part of, of Red Dwarf lore, um, and uh, I love that. I, I just love again. He's, he's such a great character, and he does make a return to, in um, in a later series as well. Right, which is cool.
1: Yeah, um, and, well, I'm jealous of you that you've read the, that uh, those comics. Uh, you know, from the magazine.
0: I, do you know what, right, I, I know, we'll, talk, we'll quickly talk about it now. Obviously, I contacted um, Rob Grant um, via email and, um, you know, tried to get in contact with them uh, and Doug Naylor and sort of through different means. And they've got a production company now, which works with Dave, the TV channel, UKTV, to, to make the, the current series. And sort of just had a very, very brief email exchange and said, look, look, look do you know what would be really cool? You've you've got these 29 magazines that existed between I think 92 and 94 um you know not all the content's great you know there's a lot of sort of like filler articles and some some interviews with someone you sort of you know it doesn't really matter but there's some really good stuff in there some really really good articles and then all these comics these some of it's really good um, that I, I, I think is so tragic that they haven't reprinted in any way, shape, or form. It's owned by... Rebe- the, the comic series and the material is owned by Rebellion at the moment, who make 2000AD. And I had a conversation with them and they said they weren't really looking to publish it or republish it. But it'd be great. I just think it'd be fantastic. Because one of the things it does, actually, that's um, highlighted, uh, or not highlighted, I should say, in the show, is the comic extends... It re. It re- you get comicized versions or comic adaptations of some of the early episodes. And what it does, it introduces some of the original concept ideas for the characters. Um, So for example, the fact that Rimmer was supposed to be black and white Mm -hmm. um, as a hologram. And that's obviously how they depict him in the comics. And I was like, Oh, that makes it even more interesting because it's even more obvious he's dead then. (laughs) Um, and there's some other things like that as well, like the, the cat in originally some of the other attractions is a bit more feline and that sort of thing. And then obviously they use the Danny John Jewels um, characterization. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's really interesting. It's a really sort of, it's you know, they're on, they're on eBay for varying um, prices and varying quality, but they're interesting. It's really worth um, looking at, uh, or at least grabbing a couple to have a look at. I'm intending to collect them all and then try and sort of read through all the comics at some point.
1: Well, and that, um, that magazine ran from 92 to 94, so uh, yeah you know I, I'm trying to to realize, let's see so uh yeah, so right, that would have been uh season five hmm. uh, and just past season six, so it was kind of like starting starting up right uh you know, not that long after season four.
0: Yeah, I think the first one came out just before season, between season four and five, because it had a sort of like um, the first couple of issues had a "Here's what to expect from series five sort of thing. So, <clears throat> wow. yeah, um, um, so it's re- they're really good. Um, so if anyone listening, I do I do recommend searching those out. They are they're actually really really cool. Well,
1: and they are getting harder to find. Yeah, and I I don't have them, and you know I'm a huge fan, and I am. You know, apparently while it was being published, you know, more than 40,000 people, uh, it was, you know, had a circulation of above 40,000. But, you know, mm-hmm. um, the publisher, which was, was Fleetway, wanted to, to focus on other stuff. These days, 40,000 would be, you know, a, a serious uh, comic. Um, yeah. And I, I'm sure that there is an audience for this material. And I know that as an American, um, you know, we never got a chance. To, to get this material so
0: twenty nine issue i' mean selected material from across those twenty nine issues in a, in a sort of like a, a collected you know whether it be a hardback or paperback edition i think would be it would sell gangbusters like it would sell just reprint those comics with some of those articles and all those bits and pieces I think it would make an absolute fortune um you know new introductions maybe by some of the cast or some of the editors I don't know, but i i'd i I'd, you know I'd, I'd buy that in a heartbeat,
1: yeah, I would too. For sure. <clears throat>
0: uh, anyway, that was a, a little, a little bit of a, a diversion, there, just because I wanted to talk about uh, Ace Rimmer. Um, but yeah, the, the thing I was, I was trying to get to is that sort of like, so you've got this sort of analysis of Rimmer in Dimension Jump, sort of as him as I used as a complete git and sort of a bit of a pathetic loser and coward, and then you sort of get handed Meltdown and Meltdown. It's almost like you know. It could have. It's almost like it's, it's almost like the universe giving Rimmer an opportunity to redeem himself. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. So in right in, Melt, in Meltdown, they come across. Well, firstly, they introduce some new technology. They have the the uh, Matter Paddle, which is a, a device that can transport. It's so now introducing transport like teleportation. Right. But it can tell it can teleport people you know long distances. Um, and then, and Triton's found it on the science deck, and so they sort of uh, you're introducing the sort of the Star Trekian thing of an M-class planet. They find a breathable atmosphere, the breathable atmosphere. They they teleport down to, it. and this is where I get a bit confused because they teleport down. It's still three million years into deep space. They teleport uh-huh. down to it, and apparently people on Earth have set up a, a wax museum, <laughs> three million years from space into deep space. Don't know why. Um, but they, <laughs> they they land on, they land on a planet where wax droids have broken their programming and have been at war. So good guys and bad guys have been at war for thousands of years. And the good guys are made up of sort of some of the lesser. So I don't know, you've got a, a Pope, you've got Santa Claus, you've got Elvis, <laughs> uh, Pythagoras, Einstein, Laurel of Laurel and Hardy. Um,
1: Marilyn Monroe, right?
0: Marilyn Monroe, I was just thinking, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mahatma Gandhi, um, Jean Paul Sartre, um, and uh, it goes on and on. So they're very sort of they're not they are not they're pacifists at best. And then they're sort of the villains have got sort of like all this collection of like ultra (laughs) villains throughout history. Sort of like you know the majority of the Third Reich, Rasputin, Caligula, um, and it goes on and on. It's a really weird episode, but I, I again I'm a big fan of this episode. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like it. I don't think it's, I don't think it's anywhere near as good as the previous one. Um, I mean, I, I think you're quite right to suggest that, um, you know, it doesn't really make sense that there's this, you know, wax museum three million <laughs> years out there. Um, and, and I think that this is part of this season and, and the previous seasons really relaxing of sort of like, well, there are no aliens. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, there aren't, but I mean, if it's a genetically engineered life form, it's an alien. It, it's just shares. It was just made by humans. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you have androids. Well, okay. You know, depends what you classify as a life form, you know, then you've got like, I mean, when you've got like a, a pod with a, you know, that's an escape pod from a, you know, from a prison planet. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's, sort of semantics that, you know, Mm -hmm. this is not a universe with, with other life. I mean, although I like that as the original conception of the show. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I think what's, you know, what's interesting here is that, you know, you pointed out that sort of Rimmer has a chance to see whether in real life he would have been a Napoleon and in a way he is, I mean, he takes charge, (laughs) but ultimately uh, you know, kills the village to save it and is perfectly happy with that conclusion. Um, and so, in a way, he he winds up being, uh, you know, as much of a git in this episode as the previous one.
0: I, I'd say worse. I mean, you know, in the, in the previous <laughs> one, you sort of, and I agree that like Dimension Jump is, is definitely a better episode. Um, but in that episode, like, you have that he is, um, you know. He's, he, he is petulant. He is bitter, and sort of all that sort of stuff. In this, like, he is willing to commit genocide just to sort of like bask in the the glory of victory. Because um, basically, what happens is he gets down there with Crichton. Because you also find out that uh, they've now added a, another dimension to Rimmer as well. Is that the thing that keeps that allows him to move around is inside him buzzing around is what they call the light bee. Mm-hmm. It's a small sort of device that projects his image and that's how he's able to see him so it's not it's not red dwarf then that's projecting that image it's a light bee that sort of like floats around inside him which is quite interesting mhm um so he's able then to sort of travel as well so they travel out his planet with Crichton because they are they don't need to breathe so they can sort of check if the atmosphere's all right and again it sort of this goes back to what they sort of did with backwards isn't it again you have <clears throat> you have that same uh, separation you've got Crichton and rimmer and uh, the cat and Lister, and they separate them on another another sort of like non Earth planet. Um, and again, that's but when they find out that this is, there's this war going on, Rimmer steps up to take take charge and lead the uh, the wax droids, the good wax droids. Um, and b- and b- basically, his plan is to attack <laughs> the villains. <laughs> um across the minefield under cover of daylight <laughs> because they won't be expecting it um yeah it's lunacy but it's uh, it's it's amazing
1: well it is a lot of fun seeing like you know Marilyn Monroe uh charging with a gun and you know like <laughs> Saint Francis uh and and all of this stuff i mean
0: <laughs> i think Francis a lot <laughs> yeah
1: i think a lot of the fun is just sort of the fun of this mashup and, you know, and ultimately it's, it's Westworld, right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's what if there were a Westworld with all of these famous people in it, you know, you have Hitler, you have Abraham Lincoln, you know, uh, let's have fun with this. And, and it does. And, you know, Lister has a line, you know, you've taken a group of holy men and pacifists and turned them into the dirty dozen. <laughs> um, and that's essentially the premise of the episode, right? Hmm.
0: Yeah, and again, I think this is one of those episodes that's sort of like the concept is incredibly silly, but again, the dialogue is is good, and I think the you know, the, uh, the cast are on form. I mean, you know, Lister and the cat get taken uh, captive, and one of the first things is like Lister's trying to figure out what they're all doing because he's like, "What are we doing in Nazi Germany? Where are these guys?" And then he starts to identify that they're all like from different periods and there's uniforms and all sort of other stuff, <clears throat> and they're actually building a gallows for him and cat. And, uh, <laughs> She's great because Cat starts oh, I, don't want to go, I don't want to be hung, um, but then the, they they lead. So He's like, oh man, they're leading somebody out. There's a, there's a firing squad, and <laughs> you never get to see it. the viewer doesn't get to see it, but Lister right. gets to see uh, Winnie the Pooh get taken to a firing squad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. And as, again, it's, just, it's such a silly concept, but like Lister's re- reaction is like that's something no one should ever have to see. <laughs> um, it's yeah it's little moments in this are so funny i think it's really good well and and this um, is
1: you know earlier i said that like um you know there's nothing wrong with being silly and it sort of works for you or it doesn't i mean this is for me just kind of delightfully silly um it's so it knows it's over the top i mean you know it 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 tells the viewer that constantly um you know when um when you've got uh, characters being mugged by Elvis and the Pope, you know, Uh, there's no doubt that you're over the top. Um, But again, you know, the, you were saying that this is even more sort of cynical about, about Rimmer than uh, Dimension Jump. Um, Yeah. I mean, you're right. I, I, and I think that like, um, like with body swap, I uh, felt that, yeah, there's something, um, leaves a bad taste in my mouth about Rimmer's Mm. actions in that episode. It's just a little too mean. Um, And here, like in the previous episode in dimension jump, you sort of, you know, you feel as if Rimmer is a terrible broken person, but he's ultimately petty. You know, he's Mm. ultimately not evil, right? I mean, he's not a menace. Uh, He's just a terrible human being. Um, here it's he causes genocide i mean he kills all the 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 goal is to uh you know turn up the thermostat and melt and literally kill all of the the good guys and the bad guys made of wax and the show knows unlike in body swap like the show knows this is abjectly terrible and rimmer has done something unforgivable um and uh Yeah, <laughs>
0: Cause call, I, I like that because again, they call it out, you know, they, they will they'll they call it out at the show because he's sort of uh they come back because again, he's put himself in a sort of like a World War II sort of general pattern, um, kind of you know, uh, uniform, has he, sort of thing? <clears throat> and um you know, he's, he, he marches back in because they've saved the cat and, and Lister, um, or they at least they've escaped, and um, but they, he, he's, he's got them tied up and he walks in, he's like. It's VW Day victory on Waxworld. and uh, you know Listers starts calling him and say, "Well, how many of Arnie's army survived?" And he's like, "Well, you know, we haven't really <laughs> had time to collate all the information and all those things, but uh, but roughly, uh, about none of them." <laughs> um, and he's you know and he says he says, well, should we go out and bask in the glory? The vile menace that plagued this planet has has been beaten or is you know is gone." And uh, Listers' response is like, no, "No, it hasn't, mate. You're still here." Um, <laughs> right right and it's sort of you know it's this thing the show is willing to acknowledge that like you know he has l- literally just wiped out the population of a planet like um whether it was you know it may just have been a bunch of wax droids but they've started over thousands of years they've started to break their programming um and it's 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 really sort of again it's one of those things that this show does that it's it's light-hearted and it's sort of um' You know, you're not really supposed to sort of hate Rimmer that much. But by the end of this series, you do, you start thinking, oh my God, he's actually a really terrible person. And if he had <laughs> been in charge and given the opportunity, like he would have done some terrible things. Oh, absolutely. You know,
1: and, and there are so many episodes. It's really easy in sci-fi to just kind of elide these actions, right? You know, to not mm. say that it's genocide, right? Um, you know, oh no, all of our, you know, there was um, some plague that I unleashed and now the entire population of robots is gone, you know? All right, well, let's move on. There are so many ways to just kind of like elide mass murder and, you know, just kind of move on with the show. But yeah, I mean, there's no illusion here that this isn't genocide. And that Rimmer isn't the villain at the end of this episode.
0: Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like It's, it's interesting because this is also the final episode. So there's no sort of like follow up to say, <laughs> oh, and by the way, here's a funny episode for you to get past all that. Here's something a bit lighter. Like They're like, no, 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 we're going to leave you with that. <laughs> Keep that in mind because we're going to get you know, when we get to the fifth series, you know, th- th- there'll be further adventures. Um, and I know that sort of like, you know, one of the key points of a sitcom is it's the status quo, is that you reset everything, no one really changes. Um, but the fact is, like, these actions have happened, like, he has done these things. Um, and so it, it's interesting that sort of like, you know, when we do get to um, some of the future, especially in, in season five, like, you know, you, the, some of the ones in particular I'm thinking like is uh, Hollow Ship, and uh, we will get to them probably in the next episode now because we're running very long. but Mm-hmm. Um, Hollow ship and um, oh, what's he called? The Inquisitor. So oh right, 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 episode, yeah. You get to this, you know, you, there's going to be some interesting notions there as well. Again, it's the first two episodes, so Hollow ship and the Inquisitor. This these notions about how um, you know Rimmer sort of sees himself or and what he deserves is interesting, considering what we now have do, have witnessed him do.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, thinking about those those episodes that uh, you know are coming up. I mean, one of the things that I have in my notes is a sort of admiration for the show for how much it lets its characters be just terrible. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, we've talked previously about sort of you know different types of characters, and you know, especially in sci-fi, of sort of relatable um characters that sort of are in that uh philip k dick mold of just like yeah they're kind of swarmy guys uh there's nothing especially noble about them and and the truth is those people probably are way more common than the ace rimmers you know Mm -hmm. ace rimmer is fundamentally um you know he's flash gordon He is Adam Strange. I mean, he is the the serial hero. Um, And our Rimmer is, you know, a lot closer to Rimmer as people really are. And yes, he has illusions of grandeur. And, you know, he is a genocidal criminal here, really. But, you know, I am always impressed with the show. And sometimes it's a lighter touch. Sometimes like this, it's kind of like, Okay, let's just kind of forget that so we can like him at all yeah. in other episodes. <laughs> um, but uh, in both cases, I have a fantastic admiration for the show and how much it allows its characters to be just petty and disgusting and, you know, not necessarily bad, but just dumb and petty and willing to hurt th- other people for their own dumb reasons.
0: Yes no i know exactly what you mean i mean they allow them to be human is is really you know they they allow them to be sort of flawed and um you know in that way and um i mean you can it's probably one of those things you can only really ever get away with on tv in comedy it's sort of you know it's quite a, it's quite risky really to be funny and um you know, they have done the it with other characters but to have the whole crew be that way um is is interesting and to have maintained it you know the, the the show has changed um shifted gear really from those first two seasons to, to these in particular um and so it is interesting that yeah this is the you know this is the show this is the show that we love um <laughs> you know really admire and we're happy to admit that yeah the characters in it are actually they're all pretty to just to, to varying degrees pretty despicable
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely and and that goes you know that goes in the face of the sort of dominant thinking i mean granted this is a comedy but the sort of dominant thinking of well we've got to make these characters more likable which Mm. you know obviously in, in in drama uh happens all the time i mean it happens in science fiction um you know and and yeah there's more room for them to be despicable in a comedy but um you know and and maybe the fact that they're they're british gives them a little more freedom there i don't know what do you, what do you think <laughs>
0: um i think you're right i mean again we sort of, we talked about it before <clears throat> this notion of sort of british sitcoms um have a tradition of the bastard being the protagonist you know you're thinking <laughs> sort of like blackadder basil faulty um you know even sort of other sitcoms that are a bit more lighthearted have always had that sort of that tone um, or, you know, from Porridge, which was set in a prison, um, to um, A Pair of Grifters Being Only Fools and Horses, which is, a, you know, a beloved sort of um, British sitcom. Sort of, you know, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's just we're sort of more accepting of watching these people, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I'm, I don't know why. Um, it's uh, an interesting one. But yeah, I, I definitely think um, it, it, it's more of a British trait uh and, and a cultural thing to allow to to sort of accept and to see these people in, in these situations
1: well yeah. it's definitely something that sets red dwarf apart and it is you know it that was one of the things that as a kid um you know i mean as a as an adolescent made red dwarf so shocking to me uh you know, that not only was this a show where the ship could explode in any given episode, um, or everyone could die, but, um, you know, the, you could kind I wouldn't say there was no one to root for, but you certainly were not rooting for a hero, right? I mean, there's no Captain no. Kirk, there's no Captain Picard, there's no Ace Rimmer. Um, you know, there's just people being petty, <laughs> and even Creighton's petty
0: yeah and it, it, he will become more so as the series go on which is wonderful and He got yeah some great moments in the next couple of seasons um but that's it that that sort of like seasons 3 and 4 so i think really you know, we're taking these by a, a couple of a couple of seasons a block and i think i'm really pleased with sort of you know we with, with four seasons in and um i think i'm really enjoying this deep dive now i'm really getting into it now sort of uh, this rewatch is making me consider a lot of it again so um yeah. So I think really the next episode will probably be five and six.
1: Yeah, sounds good. I mean, I I am enjoying rewatching them too, and I actually have not, never seen the last couple seasons. Um so I will be watching those for the first time, uh, when we get to the, the end of our deep dive. But um, you know, it's really wonderful to to explore Red Dwarf again. I mean, and I have one of the reasons why you were talking about the magazine you know this magazine um you know i never have had that kind of community about red dwarf mm-hmm. i mean i've been to a star trek invention i mean I, uh, you know i can go online and find you know um you know people who are into this or that i mean when i i don't like it nearly as much as red dwarf but you know if you you know watch Battlestar galactica you can have a conversation with a random person who likes sci-fi and they've seen it or most of it. And, you know, you can have an intelligent conversation about that. I've never been able to know, never known anyone (laughs) who was into Red Dwarf except, you know, people who are like, yeah, I kind of remember that from when I was a kid. It's like, okay, all right. I know what that is, you know, that's fine. So it is really wonderful. I mean, you are my community, Scott.
0: (laughs) That's it, and I'm happy, to, and I'm more than happy, and proud to provide that community because this is, uh, yeah, I I can I say I talk Red Dwarf all day, and um, I'm sort of hoping. I mean, what this will be? I mean, this is our interseason stuff. It's going to be almost like for me, this is going to be like the definitive conversations on Red Dwarf. Like, you know, we're going into it to a level where we're three hours. The last episode was just over three. This is over three. Like we're going to be talking like you know hours <laughs> of, of, of analysis on a on a you Know a half hour sitcom about a you know the last human and stuff, it's 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 wonderful, it's so good, it's so worth it. And uh, weirdly, not having spoken to a few people, they're very excited to see what we've got to say about Red Dwarf as well. So, I'm hoping the listeners are enjoying it.
1: Well, I hope so too. And and don't forget, uh, tweet at us at uh, yeah. pod Time space.
0: Yes, definitely. Let us know what your favorite episodes are. Uh, you know, do you think we've missed any points? Do you think we're sort of introducing you guys to new ideas about red dwarf let us know because i think you know there is a really big there is a community for this out there and i think you know let's raise the roof if you want i tell you what if you want this to be collected those comics I'm saying those collected magazines this magazine let us know let us know if you think that should be collected and reprinted in some format and if you'd buy it because i think you know if if there was some noise about that i think you know um, Rob Grant, Doug Naylor, and, and UK TV and Rebellion would probably pull something together um, to make that happen. I really think they would. because It's a missed opportunity.
1: May yeah, we... I agree, and I, I would love to. I would love to see that myself. And I know that you know if we exist, and and there are people online who you know have been excited to to hear these episodes. I know there's an audience for that.
0: Definitely, definitely, most definitely. But hey, Julian. Thank you very much, as always, for your time and uh, well, for you too, traveling through Spray's with me. And, uh, <laughs> for all those guys out there, we'll, we'll catch you on the next episode.
1: The streams.